<coughs> that which Christians refer to as the Great Commission, in reality, brethren and sisters, it's a series of post-resurrection and pre-ascension commands that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to his disciples to follow. <coughs> and they summarize in reality for us the mission of the church in the world. If you were to take Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, here we have what is known as the mission statement of the church. It's all just summarized and crystallized into one simple little verse. These commissioning texts, they're found at the end of each of the Gospels and here at the book of Acts. Now remember, we've read from Luke's Gospel and now we're reading from the Acts of the Apostles. It was Luke who was the same author of both the Gospel and the book of Acts. And so his second book, the Acts of the Apostles, is known as the Holy Ghost inspired sequel to the Gospel of St. Luke. It's the continuation of the story. How the Lord Jesus Christ built and continues to build his church through the instrumentality of Holy Spirit endued and empowered believers all over the world. Christianity, brethren and sisters, is not merely concerned with historical facts. It is, of course, but it's concerned with much more than just historical facts. It's not just a matter of what Christ has done, and it is, of course, a matter of what Christ has done, but it's a matter, moreover, of what he continues to do. The work is not over. To hear some Christians talk today, you would think the work is over. But the work is not over until the final trumpet sounds and the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in power and in great glory for his blood-bought people. Christ is active and will be active and the Spirit will be still calling out at people for himself right to that final moment. It's not surprising then to find similarities and I think we can say an overlap between the narrative of Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. Chronologically, uh, we think there's something like 40 days apart uh, from the time of Christ's resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this closing chapter of Luke and this opening chapter of Acts, twice over, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, spoke to his disciples and we read about his bodily ascension into glory. Now those last words, they're all important. You would travel the, the, the world to hear the last words of a dying parent or a dying loved one. The last words are important. So these are the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are his commissioning words. And Luke commenced his gospel. You'll take time to look it up later on. And Luke 1 verse 1 to 5 by reminding Theophilus of what he was writing to him concerning the things of which there were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word who had delivered those things which were most surely believed amongst them. So this was a narrative, it was a creed, it was a historical accurate account of what eyewitnesses had given of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the closing chapter of his gospel, Luke then reminded Theophilus that the risen Saviour had charged his disciples that they were to be his witnesses. After he had gone, who was going to tell the story? After Christ had ascended up into heaven, who was going to witness uh, about the Saviour in this lost world? Was he going to call angels down from heaven? No. 
He commissioned those that were in front of him. He said, you are going to be my witnesses of all that I have taught, of all that I have done, of all that I am to do in this world. You are my witnesses. As he concluded his first book, so then he introduced the sequel in Acts chapter 1 by introducing again this idea of being a witness. And this is how we read the Acts of the Apostles commencing. It's the final command that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his disciples before he was taken from them. He said in Acts 1 and verse 8, and it's a verse we've looked at before, but it's a verse that the Lord has brought back to me again, just the simplicity of it, the glorious simplicity of it. Jesus said to them there in the middle of the verse, he said, ye, plural, you, plural, shall be witnesses unto me. If you want to know what the Lord wants you to do, and on alone, if you want to know what the Lord wants you to do, wherever you've come from today, <clears throat> here is a mandate from Christ himself. What are you meant to do today? <clears throat> and in the days that lie ahead, you're meant to be a witness, a witness unto him. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 not only contains the key word, but it opens then up for us the key work of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it's the summary, it's the outline of the rest of the Acts of the Apostles. So if everything in Luke's gospel climaxes in the great commission of Luke 24, then everything in the book of Acts flows from chapter 1 and verse 8. So here's one of the greatest mission policy statements that was ever given to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the head of the church he gave it to us. And it's his final parting words. The word witness in verse 8, it signifies a person that's giving a sworn testimony. Have you ever been called to witness in a courtroom a, a scenario or, or scene? You have to bear testimony accurately of all that you saw, of all that you heard, of all that you did. And there are many today still put their hand on the Bible and they swear by Almighty God to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Before the judge of men, they're called to be a witness of what they have experienced and what they have seen. And now you and I, as believers, before the judge of all men, we're called to bear testimony and we're called to bear witness in this world that we live in of what we have seen and what we have experienced and of what we know to be the truth. We're his witnesses. Times have changed from the book of Acts chapter 1, but we're still his witnesses. There's nobody else going to do it. The world's not going to do it. And we can't expect the world to do it. This is the task of the church. You and I are his witnesses in this world. So in our time around the word of God, I just want to take this little truth from the middle of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This thought of being a witness, because it's the theme of the book of Luke. It's the theme, it's the outworking and the unfolding of the book of Acts. And we're going to consider it together. How then can you and I be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So firstly consider with me. That we witness for Christ through our lives. Through our lives. And I think that's just a simple but 
a first important step to learn. You can never effectively witness for Christ until you know him in your life. Until you know him in your own heart and in your own soul. I started to think in the week gone by of all of the people in Luke's gospel who were transformed by coming into personal saving knowledge with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't come into contact with Christ and remain the same. If you remain the same, you don't know him. But those who have come into contact with him are transformed by him. That's what we mean by the new birth. And I started to think, well, where's the first example in the book of Luke? And one of the first that I could think of is in Luke chapter 1, verse 30 to 35. And it's the great narrative, the great incident there, how the Holy Ghost came upon the Virgin Mary at the Incarnation. At that miraculous conception, how the Son of God was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary and yet without sin. Mary's life was never the same again. And Christ was in Mary physically as he spiritually is in the hearts and lives of all of God's people. This is the reality of the transformation that Christ brings when he comes to a heart and he comes to a life. Did it make a change for Mary? It changed everything for Mary. We read her great song of praise in Luke 1, 46, 47. What did she say? My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. This little infant that she carried in her womb, she realised that this little child was more than just a little one that she was bearing and was going to give birth to. This little one was her saviour, was her great deliverer. He had come into her life, he had changed her forever. And when Jesus comes into your life, he changes you forever. How do you bear witness? First and foremost with your life. And if he's not in your life, you can't bear witness and testimony for him. I think right through some examples, we'll just go through some examples with you. What about those shepherds in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2? Remember how the angels appeared unto them. And they were so afraid. And if a host of angels appeared to you and I, not only would we be afraid, we probably would faint with the fear and the dread that would come upon us. But it was more than just fear because faith took hold in their heart. They believed what they had been told. And we read how they witnessed. Because in Luke 2 verse 17, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Some of the first witnesses concerning the Lord Jesus Christ at his incarnation and even at his birth that we read here in the opening chapters of the book of Luke. You can read about Simeon and Anna. You can read about John the Baptist in, in chapter 3. Right through chapter by chapter in the book of Luke. There's example after example of Jesus making the difference. I love that little man. In Luke's gospel chapter 19. And he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. And he got up into a tree to see him. Zacchaeus, 
And Jesus knew exactly where he was, though he was in the midst of a multitude. He knew exactly where he was. And he came and he stood under that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, for today I must abide at thy house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those that are lost. And it's good today to know that he knows where you are. You can't hide in that pew. He knows exactly where you are. And he by his spirit has come to you again today. And he says I must abide with you. Was the case changed? He was absolutely changed. Because that which he had taken wrongfully. He said I'll restore not twice. Not three times. I'll restore it four times. That's a change isn't it? John Wesley said you know when anyone's truly converted. When their purse is converted. And when you see someone's financial life turned out upside down, inside out, because of their faith in Christ, you know they're truly converted. The book of Acts, then's the continuation of the story. From Luke 1 to Luke 24, we see Jesus changing people. And the book of Acts is just the continuation of the story from Paul's uh, from Pentecost to Paul's final witness in chapter 8, souls are hearing the good news of the gospel and they're going out and telling others. They're witnessing by their lives. Just by how you live. By how you live in the week that has gone by, it has preached a sermon. You never thought about that. Just by how you lived has preached a sermon. How you walk, how you work, how you even live in the community, how you keep your home, how you keep yourself. It's a witness in the community. If you never open your mouth, if you've never even had an opportunity to speak a word for Christ personally in the past week, even how you've been living has been speaking. We witness with our lives. During my holiday time in July, I read Dr. Sinclair Ferguson's book entitled Some Pastors and Teachers. It really majors on three Johns. John Calvin, John Owen and John Murray. All great men of God. And there's a lovely rendering in the book of the only hymn that was ever attributed to Calvin. And this is how it goes. I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. My only trust and saviour of my heart. Who pain didst undergo for my purse sake. I pray thee from our hearts all cares to take. John Calvin, though he's a very public figure. He was a very private man. He very rarely spoke in all of his writings. All of the, the volumes that are left behind about him. Uh, of his own personal uh, spiritual experience. Because he wanted to glorify God. He wanted people to know about God. It didn't matter about him. He wanted others to know about God. He wouldn't have been the type of man you'd have asked for a special testimony meeting. What was his personal motto? I was really struck by it. I offer my heart to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely. It was right in here. The great theologian of a bygone years. This was his motto, not just when he was converted as a young man, but right throughout his life. Every day he said, Lord, I offer to you my heart promptly and sincerely. That's a life that's changed. Can you say that today? 
Dear sir or madam, can you say before you have left the house today, before you'll close the day, that you'll offer your heart to God sincerely? Here's my life, Lord. Take it and use it. That's conversion. Many people today talk about conversion and they don't know anything about it. But conversion is a heart and a life that's given to God. No matter what the cost may be. The second way in which we witness is not just with our living, not just with our lives and how we live our lives, but it is with our lips. Now I want to emphasize, go back to point one, I want to emphasize, if how you live contradicts what you say, you'd be better staying quiet. If what we say is contradicted by what we do, we're a very poor witness. Our Prime Minister, didn't he lose his job? Because what he was saying to others was not what he was doing in private. He found out eventually that you can't put the whole country into lockdown and have boozy parties in Downing Street. You can't deceive some of the people some of the time, but you can't deceive all of the people all of the time. And hypocrisy and double living will always be found out. And your life, it has to coordinate with what you say. But we're not meant to be passive. We are meant to be active. And the book of Acts emphasizes uh, that we're, we're not passive Christians, we're active Christians. When the Holy Spirit baptized the believers in Acts chapter 2, we read in verse 4, they began to speak. I just think that's lovely. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak. If you know Christ in your life, you can't keep him secret. You have to talk about him. If you have the Spirit's power upon your life, you will begin to speak. It might be with stammering lips. It might be quietly. It, it might be reservedly. But you'll not be quiet. You'll have to speak. And these early disciples, they got a taste of it. And they knew that they needed more of it. And they cried unto God for the Spirit's power and endowment to verbally witness the gospel. So we're not just meant to live the gospel, we're meant to verbally articulate the gospel and to share the gospel. And in order, dear men and women, for you and I to witness for Christ with our lips, what do we need? We need the divine infilling with the power of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, in order to do it effectively. You know, you can go to all the classes of the day, how to witness, and I have no objections to those whatsoever. They're very good. But primarily we need the power of God, the Holy Spirit in our lives to witness. All the academic knowledge, all the scriptural knowledge will not enable you to do what the Spirit alone can enable you to do. Because when they were filled with the Holy Ghost they began to speak. Remember in Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with the power from on high. They were told to wait. They were told to tarry. 
They were told to pray. That's what all of that means. And we read in Acts 1 and verse 4. Being assembled together with them. He commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father. Which says he you have heard of me. They waited. They prayed. And as they waited and prayed. The Spirit came upon them. And came upon them repeatedly. There wasn't just one blessing. <coughs> there was continuous blessing in the book of Acts. We read in Acts chapter 4 verse 29. Remember how they were forbidden to preach the word of God in Jerusalem. Uh, and the, the disciples they came back together with the believers of the church. And they prayed. And they said now Lord behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that we might live quiet peaceable lives. That we might go to our churches and, and, and be good, biddable, peaceable people. No, he said, that with all boldness they may speak thy word. I was looking up this word in the book of Acts. 28 times in our authorised version in the book of Acts. The word speak, the verb to speak is used. It's constant. They're speaking. They're witnessing. They're talking. They're not silent. They're speaking. 28 times. You can check it out. The vast majority times that that verb is used, it's all to do with speaking, witnessing the gospel. This is something which concerns all of us. That little ye is the, the old uh, plural you. We're all, we're all involved in it. Every one of us. Every, if you're a Christian here today, this is, this is your mandate. This is your directive. Jesus says to you today, you have something to talk about, talk about me. You have something to talk about, talk about me. My son Ben was talking to a nun in the past week. She said something very strange to him. She said, I cannot, I cannot be silent about Christ. I've thought about that very, very much. How silent we are. There's a deafening silence in the evangelical church. It involves us all. These disciples in that upper room, oh, they had all the faults and failings of all of mankind. There, there was Peter, he denied the Lord. There was Thomas, he doubted the Lord. There were all those other disciples, they had deserted the Lord. There were his family there, and they even questioned the Lord. They, they, they said, is he mad? But on that resurrection morning, they were all there. And they were the first heralds of the gospel. Most of them had never been more than a few miles away from where they were born and brought up. And now the risen Saviour appeared to them and he said, You speak of me and take the message of Christ right to the uttermost parts. And it was a duty that was going to cost them. It's quite amazing that the, the Greek word for witness is where we get the English word martyr. Witnessing for Christ would cost all of those early apostles that were martyred for Jesus. 
It struck me forcible in reading about Kelvin again that his students in Geneva, he schooled them to be martyrs. That was part of their academic learning in Geneva. They were expected to be martyrs. And the vast majority of the students that Kelvin taught, history teaches us they laid down their lives for the gospel right across Europe. In this land, of course, we, we face all types of opposition today. But we're not been called to martyrdom yet. But how easily silenced we are. May the Spirit stir our hearts today again. May the Holy Ghost come upon our, our souls and touch our lips. Help us to speak of him. Thirdly, we witness about what we've learnt. The Saviour said they were to witness about what they had learnt concerning him. Acts 1 and verse 1. <clears throat> the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Not wonderful. All the doctrine, the teaching is the doctrine. We're called to give witness for Christ in the world, to, to the doctrine of Christ. And you don't need any fancy sales pitch. You don't have to be slicker than somebody else. You don't have to know how to answer, ask people all the right questions. You know, this is how it's done today. Do you want to go to heaven? Well, of course, everybody wants to go to heaven. But a very daring, bold individual said, no, I want to go to hell. You don't have to know all the right questions to ask. You don't have to be slick and, and as it were, salesman-like in what you're doing. You just have to know the doctrines of the Bible and speak of Christ. We've already noted how Luke introduced this concept of witnessing. Luke chapter 24-46. He said, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise again from the third day. And that repentance and that remission of sin should be preached in his name among all the nations. There we have just the simplicities of it all. We have redemption. We have resurrection. We have repentance. We have remission of sins. And Jesus said, you're witnesses of these things. You don't have to know about the ten toes of Daniel. His great image figure in the book of Daniel. You don't have to know about all the intricacies of what's up ahead or what's uh, behind and we don't understand them. You just have to know how to witness for Jesus to tell about him. Witnessing for you, Lord, everywhere I go. Luke reminded Theophilus that he was to keep to the fundamentals. There are many times where we're easily diverted and this is seen in Acts chapter 1 because the disciples came to Jesus and they said Lord are you going to restore the kingdom at this time now they wanted to see a Jewish theocracy established once again in Jerusalem they thought they would be part of it but Jesus said no it's not for you to know the times and the seasons don't be diverted stick to the fundamentals the fundamental truths concerning the Lord Jesus Christ <clears throat> Dr. Ferguson wonderfully makes the point in his book about Calvin. For Calvin, the gospel was not just predestination or election. Now, if you were to ask what's the great key doctrines of, of Calvin, some of you, I think all of us would, would come up with some of those words predestination, election, the sovereignty of God. But Calvin realized himself 
that it was through faith in Christ that all the blessings came. And it was Christ that he uplifted and that he sought to exalt. And that his life must be rooted and grounded in Christ. I love the Apostles' Creed. I've been trying to refresh my mind about it and memorize it once again. If somebody asks me, well, what does a Christian believe? I think the best summary of it all, if you have at the top of your head, is just the Apostles' Creed. What did Calvin write about the Apostles' Creed? Let me just give you a lovely quote. He said, if we seek salvation, we're taught by the very name of Jesus that it is of him. If we seek redemption, it lies in his passion. If acquittal, in his condemnation. If remission of the curse, it's in his cross. If satisfaction, it's in his sacrifice. If purification, it's through his blood. If reconciliation, in his descent into hell. If mortification of sin, in his tomb. If newness of life, in his resurrection. It's all about him. What are we called to witness about? Just about Christ. It's all about him. Brethren and sisters, in the week that lies ahead, speak just a word for Jesus. Just a word. Tell what he's doing for you. And gladly proclaim the message. Ere it will be too late. Going to consider with you finally how we witness in all the various locations that God has put us in. It's all here in this little verse. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, on to the uttermost parts. They were to start in Jerusalem. Many people have tried to spiritualize what Jerusalem is. Jerusalem was Jerusalem. It's the place where Jesus was condemned. And outside its city walls where he was crucified. Jesus said, start here. Start the hardest place. Home is always the hardest place. Go back home and start there. They were to go to Judea. That was the southern division of the land. Now they were to just branch out a little. Charity begins at home but it never stays at home. They were told they would need to develop their witness into Samaria. Oh here's the part where we've never gone before. And here's the neighbours that we've never spoken to before. There's plenty of neighbours like that. You're to reach them. You're to witness to them. And of course they weren't to stop in Samaria. They were to go to the uttermost parts. The majority of them never got to the uttermost parts. It was only the, the handful got to the uttermost parts. But they took it. They took that witness of Jesus. And they took it to the uttermost parts. It's wonderful to hear Paul speak in his closing uh, words. That, it, that he wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go to Spain because there were believers in Spain. So from one side of the Mediterranean to the other side of the Mediterranean. That whole region in one generation was reached. How? Not through the internet. Not through television, radio. Just by personal one-to-one witnessing. And that's still the best form of witnessing. I have no quarrel with radio, TV, all those things. I have no quarrel with it at all. But the primary means that God uses is you and I. 
witnessing for you, Lord, everywhere I go. Jesus shall reign, we sang Isaac Watts' hymn at the start. Where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run, his kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and be no more. We're called to be witnesses. Some will stay in the home base. Some will branch out to Samaria. Some will go to Judea. And I pray from on alone, from morn, God will come, God will call some to reach the uttermost parts from us in some other part of the world. We've got a mandate. Don't say you have nothing to do for the Lord. Don't say you haven't discovered what your talents and your gifts are. <clears throat> this, is, this is for all of us. It's not just for uh, those in Acts chapter 1. This is God's mandate for all of us today. Ye shall be witnesses.